New numbers out of ICSID, Brexit and arbitration, more Hong Kong arbitration news, that and so much more from the wide world of international dispute resolution. Thanks for tuning in to Disputes Digest for the week of April 17th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, and let's jump into it. But before we do that, if you enjoy these weekly dives into the news, take a moment and like and share the show link on LinkedIn. Or even easier, leave us a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on. All right, on to the news. First up in news, let's talk about ICSID, who's just released their 2022 caseload statistics. One of the things that readers will see is that its cases went from 66 cases in 2021 to 41 cases in 2022, a notable decline year over year. However, the center is still keeping busy with cases from all over the world, including Eastern Europe and Central Asia, which took the top spot in 2022 with 27% of new cases. South America came in second with 17%, while the Middle East and North Africa trailed behind to 14%. And America, underachieving just a bit, managed to squeak by with just 5% of new cases. Now, if you're wondering which industries are seeing the most disputes, then look no further than oil and gas, mining, and energy, which accounted for 24% of all cases. Electric power and other types of energy disputes came in at 20%, while finance and information and communication tied at 12%. Construction and water brought up the rear with 8% each. As for case outcomes, it's pretty evenly split between investors and states. Of all the cases that ended with an award, 56% sided with investors, while 28% dismissed the claim's entirety. The rest either declined jurisdiction or dismissed for lack of legal merit. The statistics also highlight one more important issue that is, diversity in arbitrator appointments. While there was a slight increase in representation from the Americas, the number of female arbitrators actually decreased. They made up only 23% of appointments in 2022, compared to 24% in the first half of the year. It still looks like there's a long way to go for gender equality. In conclusion, it'll be interesting to see how the current events like the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic affect ICSID's caseload. Though new cases dropped in 2022, this trend might be short-lived, so we'll have to stay tuned to see until the next data set drops. Then, let's talk about three things that people always think about together. Monopoly, Brexit, and arbitration. I know, I know, it sounds like a wild combination, but stick with me. You know the get-out-of-jail-free card of Monopoly? Turns out that commercial agreements made after the UK left the EU, jurisdiction clauses specifying arbitration can be like that card. Who would have thought? Before the UK's big breakup with the EU, things were a lot simpler when it came to determining commercial jurisdiction between the parties in the UK and other EU countries. However, the implementation period ended almost three years ago on December 31st, 2020. It's a whole new ballgame. With the UK's attempted ascension to the Lugano Convention, it makes questions of jurisdiction and enforcement a bit more complicated. So how are parties avoiding getting trapped in messy jurisdictional swamps? One way to do that is to include arbitration agreements in their commercial contracts. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but it's a viable option. Arbitration can resolve disputes effectively and discreetly, while also offering two key benefits in the post-Brexit world. Firstly, and as well known, the arbitral tribunal can sort out any jurisdiction questions in its own discretion. And obviously, the tribunal can set things like the form, rules, and procedure to the arbitration clause. Secondly, arbitration awards can be enforced under the New York Convention, which has over 150 state parties. This makes enforcing arbitration way easier than enforcing a court judgment. 
I know I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but it's a non-obvious point for those working in or who may have relation with enforcement issues touching on the UK. So in summary, the next time you're thinking of negotiating a commercial agreement involving the UK and the EU, remember that get out of jail free card in the form of an arbitration law. It could come in handy. Next, let's jump across the globe to Hong Kong, where a recent Hong Kong court decision has some interesting implications for arbitration. The court of first instance set aside parts of an arbitral award because there was no actual dispute between the parties to the arbitration agreement. Here's some background on the dispute. Arbitration requires party consent, which is usually established through an agreement to refer disputes related to a contract to arbitration. But the right to arbitrate doesn't arise until there's an actual dispute between the parties. In this case, CMB Fund and Cattle entered into a co-investment agreement, which included an ICC arbitration clause. CMB sued LX and an advisor to fund manager management for fraudulent misrepresentation and conspiracy. However, CMB didn't name fund or cattle as defendants. Fund, cattle, management, L, and X then started arbitration proceedings against CMB, seeking anti-suit injunctions and declarations. CMB challenged the arbitrator's jurisdiction, stating that management, L and X had no arbitration agreement with CMB and that there was no actual dispute with the fund cattle. The arbitrator issued an award holding that there was no jurisdiction to grant the anti-suit injunction at the request of L, X, and management, but he did find jurisdiction regarding fund and cattle and made a declaration regarding their non-liability. CMB applied to set aside the parts of the award containing that declaration, and the court agreed. The judge noted that there must be a dispute between the parties to an arbitration agreement for right to refer the matter to arbitration. As there was no dispute between CMB, fund, and cattle in relation to the agreement, the arbitrator had no jurisdiction to make that declaration. This case highlights the importance of determining whether a dispute exists at all between the parties to an arbitration agreement before commencing the proceedings. The jurisdiction of an arbitral tribunal is derived from the existence and scope of the arbitration agreement, and if the tribunal lacks jurisdiction, then a court may set aside the award. Then let's zoom out for a moment and talk about the International Bar Association, the IBA, and a new task force they've convened to review and update their guidelines on conflicts of interest in international arbitration, and they're hoping to finalize their changes by next year. The co-chairs of the IBA Guidelines and Rules Subcommittee, Erica Stein and Emmanuel Giacomi, have identified eight areas that could use some sprucing up. These areas include arbitrator disclosures, third-party funding, issue conflicts, organizational models for legal professionals in different jurisdictions, expert witnesses, sovereigns, or their agencies and instrumentalities, non-lawyer arbitrators, and social media. Quite a substantial list, am I right? So how are they going to tackle all these issues? They've divided the task force into eight subgroups, each focusing on one of these topics, plus a ninth group to consider any other issues that, that might need addressing. Stein and Giacomi are purportedly excited about the opportunity to contribute to the development of arbitral practice and theory, and they're looking forward to the task force members diving into this important work with the commitment and seriousness it deserves. Valiera Galindez, senior co-chair of the IBA Arbitration Committee, is also pumped about the accomplished task force, saying that their work will keep the guidelines as the foremost reference on issues central to the legitimacy of their field. So when can we expect to see the fruits of their labor? The task force aims to wrap up the revision of the IBA guidelines by spring 2024, with final drafts of amendments due by the end of November this year.
This is a great follow-up of the fantastic 24th annual IBA Arbitration Day, which was held in Lisbon on the 14th of April and covered topics such as funding, sanctions, disclosure, and corruption. Sounds like a party, doesn't it? Then for our final story of the day, let's talk about a Canadian court case that could easily be mistaken for an elaborate game of hide and seek. A court in Ontario has recently refused to enforce a $90 million award from Shenzhen against the golf club Embrasio, Sean Du, and his wife, Rondu. The reason? Well, it turns out the couple was not given proper notice of the arbitration during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's right, folks. You still have to give notice, even if it's a global pandemic. The case involves China's Tianjin Dinghui Huangzhun Equity Investment Partnership, TDH, trying to enforce the award against the Dues, who are Canadian citizens living in Toronto. Xia Du is the founder of Pacific Link Group, which owned a network of golf courses in Hawaii, the U.S. mainland, and Asia. The dispute is related to a $62 million loan made by TDH to an entity in the group, which was guaranteed by the Dues. TDH initiated arbitration in 2022 to collect on the loan, but the dues were notably absent from the proceedings, claiming that they had no knowledge of the arbitration. The couples also stated that they were stuck in Canada due to the pandemic and couldn't access their Beijing corporate and residential addresses where the arbitration materials were delivered. In a surprising twist, the Shenzhen Intermediate People's Court rejected requests by the dues to set aside the award. However, Madam Justice Kimmel of the Ontario Court decided that the dues did not receive proper notice under the Uncentral Model Law. She also pointed out that the dues had informed TDH that they were in Canada when lockdown and travel restrictions began, but TDH didn't share this information with the Shenzhen Court of Arbitration. In conclusion, this case highlights the importance of proper notice in international arbitration, especially during a pandemic. And remember, if you're ever thinking about starting a legal fight, make sure you know that you're actually serving the right parties. Anyway, that's it for us this week. It was great catching up with many of you in Vienna a couple of weeks ago. You could really feel the VIS spirit in the air, and it was so good to see many, so many familiar faces. And then last week, as mentioned in one of our stories, it was IBA Arbitration Day in Lisbon. So we were a bit busy doing that, but it was so good again to see many, so many folks here in Lisbon. We're also working on season five of the show, which we look forward to bringing you in very short order, but we'll keep bringing some great weekly content in the meantime. So without further ado, thanks for listening. This has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. See you next week. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.